Welcome to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. Today's episode, we have Rick Forrest. He is um, very well known as a javelina hunter, very successful hunter all around. But if any of you have seen YouTube videos in Arizona with an individual calling javelina and those javelinas coming straight up a draw and almost hitting them, um, as you know, Javelinas have poor eyesight, so they're just running to the distress sound. But in that YouTube video, that is Rick calling those Javelina and using some of his Javelina calls. He's developed them and changed them over the last several years. He has a current one called the Javelina Blaster. He's going to hopefully be demonstrating that today. But without further ado, we are going to have Rick Forrest on the podcast today. Stay tuned and learn all about Javelina hunting and Javelina calling. Thanks. Welcome again to another episode of the Christian Hunters of America podcast. We have Mike Ornosky, my co-host, in studio today. How are you, Mike? We are doing great for uh, November in uh, the fall of central Arizona, so it is beautiful outside. So hello, everybody. It is absolutely gorgeous outside. And like I said, we have a very special guest. Um, a lot of people in Arizona know who this individual is, um, anyone that has hunted javelina from out of state and come to Arizona. You may have heard of him or you may have seen him on some videos, but we have Rick Forrest. How are you, Rick? I'm doing good this morning, gentlemen. How are you? We are doing fantastic. Um, for those of you that don't know, Rick uh, was very instrumental in bringing Havelina calls to mainstream. A lot of people uh, thought it was snake oil. I've talked to people in the past and they were like, there's no way you can call Havelinas in, but after seeing Rick do it on several YouTube videos and seeing that his calls work, I think a lot of people have become believers now. Rick, do you want to talk a little bit about how um, how that all got started and uh, introduce yourself for the people that aren't familiar with you? Okay. Um, well, as I said, my name is Rick Forrest. <clears throat> I'm a native Tucsonian, was born in Tucson. Um my dad hunted back in the day. He didn't you know? He was he was a typical hunter that just kind of threw a rifle over his shoulder in a canteen and walked around until we found what we were looking for and turned into World War Three. And and you bagged a deer. It might have one hole, might have ten holes in it. Right, depends on the situation. But I grew up kind of in that in that environment, and uh, and I found a bow at my aunt's house at the ripe young age of of eleven, an old Boy Scout green recurve bow and. I made a string and rode my bike to the local Kmart and bought some arrows with my paper route money and was shooting arrows. And uh, one of my dad's friends happened to be over the house that day. And he said, hey, you're doing this all wrong. You got to put the arrow on this side and you do this and that. And the guy showed up the next weekend with a bear Kodiak recurve and some fiberglass arrows and kind of got me going. And and uh, and he started taking me bow hunting because my dad wasn't, wasn't a bow hunter. Well, I was hooked on bow hunting pretty much from that point on and this gentleman had an old wood call and he he showed me how to call javelina and i was just flabbergasted on how how well it worked you know and uh, and i picked up a call of my own and and i've been calling javelina in for years i mean just years and years and years um i've been able to harvest a javelina every year since i was 10 years old i started bow hunting i killed my first javelina at 13 and i'm I'm uh, 59, so you can add all that up with all the extra tags and get more than one Avalina a year. Between my brothers and, and my family and my kids, gosh, I mean, we've been involved in probably well over 300 kills. And I can honestly tell you that probably 60% of those kills are direct direct result of the call, calling them in. Wow. So fast forwarding to now, I mean, I grew up, you know, went to school, became an engineer, I had that old green call. Um, it looked very similar to J13, but it wasn't. We bought J13s as backup calls, but my call had a different tone to it. And, uh, you know, we could be calling pigs. My brothers might be calling pigs, and the pigs would be running away, and I'd pull out my old call, and they would turn around and come back. And so we all scratched our heads going, what's the difference? And there was kind of two differences. One was the tone, which I've emulated with the calls that I make. And then also how I blow the call is a little different than a lot of folks. And I think that has a has a direct impact, too, on how well the Avalina responds. That's kind of how it all gets started. 
we had that video. We started videoing and, <clears throat> and publishing YouTube videos, and that Avelina video came out, and everybody kind of went bonkers over it, and lots of call, lots of requests on calls, and where did I get that call, and and uh, so here we are today, right? The rest is history. That it's crazy on <clears throat> social media. We we often talk about it on this podcast. There's positives and negatives to to both, but. That particular episode, positive in the in the limelight of making a lot of people believers that the call worked, and also I'm sure it springboarded your your business of making calls, correct? Yeah, I mean that's kind of what going got it going. I had so many people messaging me and wanting to know, you know, about the call, and and uh, you know over the years, I mean I've I've got a number of patents in the archery industry with some bow sights and some broadheads and that, so it's like naturally kind of progressed in well. Maybe I ought to just make these calls and provide them to the folks that, that want to get a call. What was your, um, obviously the inspiration to seeing uh, friends and family be successful and everybody else reaching out to you and wanting that call, but where did you start or do you know what call it was that you guys modified to begin with in order to, to simulate uh, a javelina in distress? <clears throat> You know, I had gotten that call way back when I was like 12 or 13 years old, and and I don't know what brand it was. I mean, all the labels are wore off of it. I mean, that call had seen so much use, um, and I never could figure out, you know, where where we got it. I mean, it was just that long ago, and you know, you know over the years, I never thought about I'd be making calls, right? But I recognized that, you know, one of these days I might lose this thing, so we had bought backup calls. The J 13 is the one that a lot of people go to those gentlemen did a website out there. And I mean, there's a lot of different Havelina calls out there, but Havelina calling is like kind of like Turkey hunting, right? For those that hunt turkeys, there's times where, you know, you can't get a Turkey to respond to your call. And there's other times you open the door truck door and it squeaks and the birds are gobbling and running in. And, and that's kind of like Havelina. When they want to call, they'll come to just about anything, but sometimes they get a little bit particular and, and finicky, and I, and that's where I think my call stands apart with the tone and the way that I that I that I blow the call. I think it does make a little bit of a difference. Uh, an example of that is most guys will tell you you can't blind call. I mean, I see that on a lot of websites. A lot of guys will mention you can't blind call. And I do it all the time. I've killed a ton of javelina by blind calling, so I know it works. For the people that don't know what blind calling you correct me if i'm wrong you're you're talking about you don't spot them you're not glassing them you just go to a new area and you blindly call uh to see if yeah. there's anything correct yeah i've done that i've done that quite a bit i mean i've got a kind of a a routine to how i like to hunt javelina and we can get into that if you want um but it, it i use a, a lot of analogies and one of them is a good bass fisherman's got rubber worms in his tackle box but he just doesn't have one rubber worm right he's got a green one he's got a blue one he's got a chartreuse one he might have a white one and and hunting is the same thing you need to have a number of tools in your tackle box you know and a call is one of those tools and the method on using the call is another tool right there's different methods that i use and so when you add all those tools together, then, then, you know, you can create that recipe that, that spells success. Oh, your recipe spells success for a lot of people, including yourself. I'm sure you have a, a Euro school collection a mile long with, with that many harvest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a few. Heavenly are just built for bow hunting and they're just a lot of fun. There's, it's one of those hunts where there's not a lot of pressure. You know, I'm going to go look for a 180 inch mule deer, 110 inch coos. I mean, exactly. as long as it's not a little bitty red Havelina, you go, you go harvest your Havelina. You have a lot of fun with your friends. We couldn't agree more. Uh, we always have a mentored camp every January, uh, sometimes in February. And we always have a mentored camp. We used to have it in central Arizona, but we put a hurting on 19A with the javelinas that we've moved down south into the all the 36s. And we take people out that have never hunted before or, or wounded vets or kids and whatnot because there is a whole lot less pressure hunting javelinas. Yeah. They want to hunt with a rifle or if they want to, during that season, or if they want to hunt with a bow, then uh, we'll get them on it. But, yeah, please please discuss some of your tactics um, and anything you want regarding uh, what you do when you are setting out to, to go harvest one. Right. Well, I'll, I'll caveat it again. I'm not a biologist and I'm sure there'll be some folks that may or may not agree with, 
my methods or my comments. I, I'm just going to pass on my experience over the years of hunting javelina. You know, they don't always come to the call. Depends on whether the herd has got, you know, young ones in the herd or not, or whether they've been beat up a lot by predators, whether they've had a lot of hunting pressure. So, and I like spawn stock. I mean, that's, that's me and my bow hunter. So typically, I'm usually glassing, right? Havelina got a, they've got a certain territory that they live in, and they'll have three or four what I call main beds. So once you learn that herd and kind of get, get an idea where they like to bed, those are the areas I focus on glassing. I'll go glass those areas. And when I'm done glassing a canyon or a couple of canyons and I'm ready to move, I'll hit the call. I've got nothing to lose at that point in time, right? If the pigs are there, they're either going to come in or they're going to run away. But either way, I know they're there. Right. And there's been many times where I've literally sat for two hours glassing and picking apart the desert with our 15s and not seen a thing and hit the call. And the pigs have been right down below us the whole day, just kind of lounging in a little nook and cranny where we couldn't see them. And boom, here they come. And we've killed a lot of pigs doing that. So when I'm done glassing, then I'll hit the call. Um, and I don't call just for, you know, a minute or two. I'll, I'll call for a good five minutes. And the reason I do that is, you know, I've had pigs come from a long ways away. They'll say, if you're not within a hundred yards, they don't come. Well, I don't really agree with that. I mean, I have called pigs in from, you know, half mile, three quarters of a mile away. The thing with pigs is, if as long as you're calling, they're coming. When you stop calling, they stop coming. They lose interest pretty quick. And so that's why I'll call for a good five minutes, giving them a chance to, to get within what I call hearing distance of me. And they're always woofing, right? If you guys have called them in, you'll hear them woofing. A lot of times you'll hear them way before you ever see them. Mm -hmm. Right? Exactly. And uh, my hearing isn't the best. So I'm usually with buddies and they're all got there. You know, they're standing about 20, 30 yards away from me and they're listening. And, you know, I'll hear, you know, when the guys get thumbs up, all right, there's pigs coming, you know, because he can hear them woofing and we'll keep on calling. So I'll do that. And, uh, and if I don't, and if I don't call any pigs in, then I'll move to my, my next glassing place. And then we talked about um, cold calling. Another thing I'll do midday if I'm if I'm tired of glassing or if I'm in an area that doesn't facilitate glassing right out in the flats, these agricultural fields, guys hunt. I like to hunt the river bottoms. So any of the major drainages, San Pedro River Bottom, the Soap Rewash, I mean, any of those big river bottoms, we'll just run those and run it like coyotes, right? Go every half mile, get out of the truck, you know, walk off the road, you know, 50, 100 yards, you know, set up like you would on a, on a coyote stand and start calling. And we have taken a lot of Havelina in that method. I've actually gone down the highways, pull right off the side of the highway, walk out 100 yards and hit the call. And we've we've taken Havelina that way. Yeah, that's fantastic. And a lot of the tactics, I really wasn't exposed to the call until I took Chet out a few times. And I was always the guy that would glass. And like you said, usually you figure out where the, the Havelina would be. And, and up here in central Arizona, it's always in the thickest, nastiest washes. Rarely do they come out in the open, so we'd always kind of focus on those areas or in saddles, things like that, or or if there's a thick cluster of trees, you know, manzanita, you know, especially if you get a little higher or you get a lot of the the mesquites and things like that. But for my question to you would be is when us as bow hunters, and I've harvested over 30 myself where it's mainly spot stock, but wind is essential. But it almost sounds like when it comes to the calling, you're not really, really worried about the wind flow and everything else where... If you're a bow hunter and you're glass and you're trying to get that wind right, because if they smell you, they're going to blow out. But it's almost like when you're calling, it's almost like they let that guard down. Is that true, based on what you're seeing with on the wind? They, they, yeah, they do let it down a little bit. But you'll notice a lot of times, especially if you're in the you know more open canyons like we hunt out here, you'll see them starting to swing downwind to try to wind you. And so what we'll do a lot of times if there's more than one of us together, the other guys will shift. Uh, for the wind leave the caller in that position a lot of times if i'm by myself when they start coming in and they're getting you know about 100 yards and i see that they're starting to try to swing down wind i'll move i've actually i've actually ran to a different location to to keep the wind in my favor and they'll tolerate a lot of that because they're coming in they're expecting to see something or expecting to hear something so the movement or the sound doesn't seem to affect them as much when they're coming into the call um, and so I'll move, you know, try to keep that wind in my favor. Yep. <clears throat> yep, for sure. Then my, then my next question would be is let's say 
You have you glassed up your herd of pigs. You know, one of our favorite methods, as you said. You know, but Havelian are built for bow hunters, and you know, it's it's by far my favorite thing to hunt, especially in January, with groups. But let's say we sneak up and we we get into some pigs, and we get that last 30, 40 yards, and the wind shifts, and all of a sudden they start woofing and they start blowing up. Would that be a good time to start blowing on the call, or would you just rather freeze and try to reposition? So at what point would you want to start blowing that call on a scenario like that? So a lot of times in those situations, you know, a lot of times I'll wolf back at them, you know, and, and, you know, if, if they hear another wolf, sometimes, oh, there's already another pig over there or whatever that sound was, it's another pig. Sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll start settling down. Sometimes they'll come over to check it out. But once they've committed that they're leaving, that's usually when I'll go ahead and hit the call. Okay. That makes sense. So everybody out there listening, if you are getting close to them, and um, maybe Rick can demonstrate it, but the uh, the woofing is that sound of kind of they're on alert, they're a little alarmed, uh, kind of like a defensive uh, wolf, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'll see their, their hackles, um, all their hair standing up. And uh, if you get close enough, you're definitely going to be able to see that. You'll definitely be able to hear that when they're when you see them, we've had success, and I'm sure plenty of others have had success. Mike uh, demonstrated that numerous times to people and uh, gets them to get well within bow range. But when they're leaving and you see that they're now disinterested or they potentially winded you, that's when you start blowing that call then, correct? Yeah, and you can you know you can watch Avelina and the mannerisms, right? If you've got a good herd and they're milling around their feet and they're kind of just kind of moseying and doing their thing, Anytime you get a pig that all of a sudden stops abruptly and raises his head up, he's either heard something or seen something, right? And and I'll watch their mannerisms when they do that. And sometimes they'll stand there frozen for a long time because they're waiting for you to make the next move, right? They think they've seen something. They think they heard something. They're waiting to see what's going on. So I'll, I'll watch watch that a lot. My number one rule with pigs is there's always one pig closer than the one you're looking at. Exactly. Exactly. So yep. if you follow that rule, then the chances of stepping on one get gets reduced, right? Absolutely. So I'm always looking for that pig. They blend in so well; they can literally be ten yards, and you just don't see them. Yeah, so you know, I slow way down when I'm when I'm creeping in like that. But you're correct. You know, um, I'll wait for them to start motoring on out of there before I hit the call. The other thing I'll mention is when you are calling, and they're usually running, right? So as a bow hunter or maybe as a pistol hunter, um, as long as you're on the call, they're running. When they when they get to about 30 yards and they're they're committed to coming into the call, I stop calling. And they'll stop and they'll woof and I'll woof back at them. And usually when they hear that woof, <laughs> you know, they'll 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 trot right up to me. They're not running anymore. So that slows them down, and then I've got, you know, better opportunity for a nice archery shot. Yep, exactly. And that's exactly how I've always hunted them is just getting close and <clears throat> start woofing real soft. Right. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know, and that's it. Um, and that's usually just kind of calms them down, and they just then they kind of think that there's another javeline over there and they'd come in, and that's probably how I've shot 80% of mine, just that same scenario, you know. And to yep. me, that, and yeah. but I also noticed maybe you've mm-hmm. noticed too, there's a different tone in the woof. Um, you almost have to do it really soft, and if you get too hard or aggressive, that's almost like a warning, then you, you blow them out. Have you had that same experience? Yeah, it's almost like a dog barking, right? Exactly. Kind of the same scenario. They'll they'll do a loud alarm wolf, you know, or they'll do other ones. And sometimes I've done, I'll just go, Bleh! like I'm we'll have a little food fight, right? Yep. I'll give them a couple of wolves, and and that all of a sudden, oh, there's a couple of pigs over there, and they'll that'll calm them down. So, yep. just, you know, play. I mean, you learn by doing, right? Sometimes yep. things work, sometimes they don't, and and every herd has its own personality. And every pig has its own personality. So like in that video that, that kind of kicked it off, right? When you when you first watch that video, there was only a couple of pigs that came in. Yep. But as I kept calling and more and more, it, it's that kind of a herd mentality. You know, once 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 one pig kind of said, Hey, I'm going to the fight, then the rest started joining in. And then next thing you know, I've got a whole bunch coming. So it just depends on the on the on the personality of the herd. Did everyone believe you that the the calls worked based on your success, or did people have to be out in the field with you in order to 
to believe that the calls work? Um, it varies. I mean, I had a bunch of a bunch of friends that came out here from Minnesota to hunt mule deer and javelina, and uh, and they were hunting during the week while I was at work, and they were struggling, couldn't find any javelina, they weren't doing any good, and and so I basically said, "Well, meet me Saturday morning, and we'll go out." And and we went down a major highway and stopped every half mile, and probably about the fifth place we stopped. You know, all heck broke loose, and three out of the four guys bagged a javelina. And they actually admitted to me that they thought I was yanking their chain and wasting their time because they didn't think it was going to work. But once that happened, those guys were hooked, and that's all they wanted to do every time they came to Arizona. They just wanted to go call javelina. There's nothing like it. I mean, we all get hooked in September for for calling for elk or calling for turkeys in the springtime, but there is something about those winter hunts, the archery, December, January, and, and seeing those little pigs start running right at you. There's, it, it's exciting and it's, it is a lot of fun. It doesn't get old even no matter how many years you've been hunting them. Yep. Exactly. No, no, I've had grown men with rifles backing up because um, pigs are coming in and they were a little intimidated. <laughs> no, it's true. And I know I tried calling, you know, for a long, long time and you kind of brought up the old call and I, my dad actually gave me one this is probably 30 years ago too and it's an old Cersei call like little green Cersei call and but i'd always use it as like a varmint guy you know trying to make that hoo hoo sound where once i saw your video i'm like man i have done it wrong my whole life and it's pretty incredible by chance you yeah i i brought i went down and met with you as you know a few weeks ago and i bought a couple of your calls and i haven't even tried your call yet and then i remember you giving me that little demo um by chance, do you have a call with you? I was wondering if you might be able to blow the call so the listeners can hear the call, and I might try to, my first time ever trying to, to mirror you, so it might get pretty interesting for the <laughs> listeners to think how bad my yeah, call is yeah, compared I, to yours. So. <laughs> yeah, I've got a call with me. Okay. And, 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 and again, I think that's a little bit of the key to my success is, you know, trying to master the tone and the sequence of a baby javelina or maybe having a fight. And it's, it's funny, I get a, you know, I get a lot of guys coming up. I've been building a house for the last year, and so guys will come up to the house, and I'm working on the house. I might have a contractor here helping me, the framers or whatever, and I'll give the guys a quick lesson and ask them, hey, have you done it before? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've called pigs, and then they blow on it, and my wife or daughter will be over there snickering because, um, yeah, they're not quite as good at it as they, they think they are. Oh, that's true. Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna show you how I was trained, and I'll let the let you kind of follow up. So for the listeners, okay. So as I was, I used to go out with a, a friend that was my mom's, and he was part of the Phoenix Varmint Colors, and this is how he taught me to call. And so this is the first time I'm blowing in your call, and we'll see the difference. So that's how I was taught to call, but again, it was for varmints, javelina, coyotes, bobcats, lions. So now we'll kind of let you demonstrate exactly what this call that I just purchased from you should sound like. Right. So <clears throat> the guy that taught me how to call, you know, at the time I really didn't, you know, he just kind of blew on it and I just copied what he did, right? Yep. Didn't really think a lot, a whole, whole lot about it. It worked and, and I went on. And then, you know, one day I was uh, helping my dad on a ham hunt and he had a friend there and the guy guy had a cassette recorder and he goes, Hey, can I record you calling so I can go home and practice? And I thought, yeah, cool. No problem. So I blew the call a little bit and he recorded it and didn't think a whole lot about it. And we went out hunting that afternoon and my dad and I are on this ridge and we're glassing and all of a sudden I hear a baby pig. And I'm, you know, I don't know how many people out there heard baby little reds that are separated from the herd. But I told my dad, Hey, there's some pigs down here. I can hear a little baby pig. And so we start focusing, looking down there, and there's old Norm down there with his cassette recorder. And that's when it dawned on me that, wow, I sound just like a baby javelina. And I think that's the key. So, you know, the little reds, they, they don't have big lungs, right? They're not going to make a big, long, drawn-out sound. They're going to make little short sounds, and it kind of sounds like this. Get my call going. <laughs> how well that came across the phone <clears throat> but basically you know i get this growl with my call and you restrict the airflow with your hand but you have to blow enough to get the growl sound so i'll make that first as i open my hand a little bit you'll hear the tone change 
You can hear that. Yes. So when I make a when I make a small sound, I open my hand, but I shut off the air. That's the key. A lot of guys don't shut off the air, so they go. <laughs> I've never heard a baby javelina sound like that. So I, I shut the air off immediately. <laughs> my stomach actually, my abs actually get a little bit sore when I'm doing this. They kind of get tired and hurt. Um, the other sound I'll do is I'll close my hand and shut off the air. That's kind of what baby javelina sound like. Sounds so when incredible. They get, when they get separated from the herd, you know, they'll run around making those sounds trying to regroup. And I think that's why the herd is initially coming in, especially if they're a herd that does have little reds or they recently lost reds to depredation or whatever. I think they respond really well to that sound. I think that's what we've seen too. When we've uh, when we've busted a herd, I know I've called them and they've come back to us when we were in southern Arizona. Uh, Mike and I were both hunting and we knew we saw them. We'd glassed them up, and as you said, and many people that have hunted them have all experienced. As you get closer, they blend in quite a bit with that background. Um, mm-hmm. They're real low to the ground. They're not real tall, and they look like rocks. And as we got into that thicker brush, we busted them, and they split. And luckily, uh, calling them kind of made them regroup and come and investigate. And Mike and I were both able to successfully harvest. But when you see them split on some of those open, like in your video or on those rolling hills, um, do you ever use it to – to try to get them to come back as far as kind of regrouping or do you see it as more of um, the, like the, the depredation where the little red or the distress sound is more of someone being hurt or do you see it as kind of calling them to come back? Like, Hey, it's the, it's the young javelina. And not only is it working for being attacked, but it's also working for bringing the herd back in because um, kind of like that they're lost, if that makes sense. Yeah, I really think it, I think, you know, the sounds that I'm making, that sound that I just did, I think the herd is really coming back to, to gather up their young. Like, hey, we've left one behind or there's one over there that's that's separated from the herd and we're going to come, you know, come get it and regroup, right? They're right. very protective. I don't know. You guys have been watching the news. You probably had the same thing going on in Phoenix. The the metro area, you know, the law against leaving pumpkins out, but there's been three or four attacks in Tucson in the last few weeks with people walking their dogs. Yep. And the javelin are very protective of their young, and that's why they're so aggressive with predators, coyotes and bobcats. So I really think that they're, you know, they've, they're, they're thinking they've, they've left behind a little one or the little one has been separated and they're coming, they're coming over to regroup and gather it up. Now I do make another sound that sounds more like a javelina fighting a predator or in distress. And so sometimes I'll watch the herd. If I'm getting a good response on the call with a little baby javelina sound, then I'll continue to just, you know, make that sound. If I can see the herd and they're kind of, you know, they're not really committed, they're thinking about it, they're they're listening, you know, but they're not actively coming towards me, then I make another sound that sounds more like, you know, a javelina really getting tore up. And sometimes that'll light a fire in them. So I, I make that sound sometimes and, and, and that'll, that'll work, work real well too. Can you demonstrate either of those? Yeah, so I did the baby one earlier. So this one is more of a javelina fight. And again, when I'm rolling my hand over the end of the call and I'm controlling the air with my diaphragm. So I'm shutting the air on and off with my diaphragm. So it kind of goes like this. It goes like that. I've heard that before. I've there's I have heard that before. That's amazing. Because I we had some uh we were glassing for javelina and all of a sudden that sound broke out down below us and it was a pack of coyotes. It was on a small herd of pigs. I think there was like two two pigs in there and they were attacking one of them. That's almost yeah. exactly what I heard. 
when that pig was just going crazy. And then all of a sudden you start seeing all the coyotes dancing out directly down below us. That was, yeah, 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 exactly. And I, and I think that's been the key to my success over the years. Like I said, my having other people call with me and, and the pigs aren't responding, but I can pull my call out and turn the herd around and bring them back. And I think it just has to do with the way that I'm blowing on the call, the sounds that I'm making with the call. It's not a, it's not a magic pig call, right? You just don't blow air through it and, and, and magic pig sounds come out. You gotta, you kind of got to work at it and learn how to make the call Yep. Take the sounds you want. Exactly. Just like how I did my original that I was calling all those years, and I probably have had three pigs my whole life, you know, come into that call. But it's true. It's all based on the sound, the tone, the aggressiveness, and, and knowing that situation for sure. Right. When, when you're out, um, obviously you've uh, harvested quite a bit. When you're setting up and you said that you guys are 20, 30 yards, of, are you guys in a row or are you staggered kind of like when you're elk calling and you have the caller behind and you have the shooter out front? Are you guys kind of out in a horizontal row just because you don't know where the pigs are going to, which way they're going to come up? Or how do you address that? Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much we're in a horizontal row. I mean, we're looking at a canyon bottom and, and, you know, it's just like hunting predators, right? Or even an elk or a turkey. You kind of set up where you think they're going to come from. Um, but obviously that doesn't happen every time. And so you might have to shift. The, the great thing about pigs, like we mentioned, their eyesight isn't all that great. Um, and they're expecting the, to hear something because they're coming into this call. So making noise is not big of a deal. It's really going to be vision and smelling. And so, you know, you can, you can get away with a lot of movement prior to them getting right up to you. So you can shift and adjust. Yeah. For everybody listening, that, kind of uh rick alluded to it earlier when you see them coming and if you know that a prey animal is gonna play the wind um there's mm -hmm. nothing to say with their poor eyesight and them relying mostly on their nose and their ears in our experience secondary that you can you know cross over a couple boulders get through that cactus patch so that you are are playing the wind especially with that archery game um get in front so that you are downwind um, and not not going to play into their favor. And there's nothing wrong with moving in order to have a higher success for you to be able to harvest them. Um, with their eyesight being as poor, we've done that. And I'm sure you've seen it numerous times that you can get away with that movement. Where do you think that that, that fine line is where they can really pick you up and then see more of what you are versus just a, a shadow or just a movement? I think the general rule of thumb with most folks will say, you know, that 50 to 60 yards, but I mean, I've had pigs nail me to hunt and you're like, are you kidding me? Really? You just seen me? You know, cause you get kind of used to being able to move, you know, comfortably in that 50 to 60 yard range. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, are they relaxed and they're feeding and there's a lot of movement? You know, there's 10, 15, 20 pigs in the herd, so there's a lot of activity going on. They're shredding the cactus. They're rooting up the ground. And so they, it, plus they're short-statured, right? So if the brush around them is almost the same height, if you think about it, they're down in that grass. It's hard for them to see out. But you get, you know, a pig on the opposite ridge line from you where, where that grass or that brush around them isn't obstructing his eyesight. Mm -hmm. Then I think, I think that's when, you know, we've been a little aggressive thinking, oh, we can work our way down here. And that pig's 100 yards over there. And boom, all of a sudden you look up and, hey, there's a pig standing there looking at us. Wow. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think it just depends on the situation and, and the vegetation around them and the terrain. How, uh, what's the biggest herd that you guys are seeing and what's the smallest herd that you guys have had respond to, to your call? I have called in a single javelina to a call, came in all by himself. Was it a boar? Yeah, well, sometimes it's a sow. Okay. You know, like, okay, I don't know where this one pig came from, but he obviously was interested. Um, I have... Uh, the biggest herd I ever called in at one time had 37 pigs in it. Wow. Now, whether that was a single herd, whether it was two herds that kind of joined together to, you know, come over and check it out or whatever, but there was 37 of them that lined out coming in. Incredible. That'll get Western real quick, depending on how close they yeah. got. 
little visually confusing when they're running around you. Yeah, absolutely. Are you still seeing those kind of herd sizes in southern Arizona? Because I know, like in central Arizona, I mean, we're, if you're seeing a herd of eight, nine, that's a really big herd. It seems like in the last 15 years, seems like our herd sizes keep getting smaller and smaller in central Arizona. I think a lot of it has to do with hunting pressure and depredation, and of course, you know, they had that parvo that went around. Um, <clears throat> I've seen a couple of herds in the last couple of years that are pushing close to 20, but that's a rare occasion. Yep. Usually it's in the 12 to 15, you know, animal size. That's great. Um, and again, I mean, uh, the line depredation, we chatted about that yep. earlier, you yep. know, the, right? We really try not to pick on a herd. So, you know, if we're, if we're glassing and we see a herd and it's only got six, seven, eight animals, we consciously will only take one animal out of that herd. Um, yeah. and we'll move, you know, it, this is all, you know, hunting's conservation, right? Absolutely. Everybody, everybody obviously wants to kill an animal, but you know, you shoot, you shoot half the herd up, you know, and, and that's, that's an issue, right? They got to recover from that. So, you know, we'll move on and we'll go pick on another herd. We try not to pick on one herd too much. We'll spread, we'll spread it out. Yep. Great. We try to do the same thing, which seems like our magic number appears, you know, less than five, four to five. We, we don't touch them, try not to, because it's the same thing. If you shoot one or two pigs and there's three left and all of a sudden the lions come in or the coyotes, I mean, that herd could be yeah. history for the rest, you know, that area is gone. I mean, it's amazing right. how that can and happen. It could be that the herd just got split up, right? You know, it could be it's a you know, 10, 15 animal herd and it got split up for whatever reason and, and they just haven't regrouped. But generally... You know, the herds that are in the areas that I hunt, you know, two years ago, there was, you know, 15, not actually two years ago, last ham season, there was 15 pigs in the herd. And now rolling into this ham season, there's only six. Wow. Unbelievable. And nobody hunted them. I mean, they, you know, we didn't kill those pigs. So that's depredation or, or disease, one of the two. Yep. Interesting. What, um, have you witnessed mountain lions or coyotes? Obviously, we know they kill them and, and eat them regularly, but have you ever, while either hunting javelina or hunting another species, have you actually got to see a uh, predator attack the pigs? Well, I have, I've seen uh, lions attack the pigs, and then um, I didn't get to witness this, but a friend of mine actually witnessed a black bear um, dive into a manzanita bush where a herd of javelina was bedded, dove into this bush, pigs scattered everywhere, and the bear came out with a javelina in its mouth. <laughs> wow. That would have been an incredible video to get. I wish I would have been a personal witness to that. But, but there you go. I mean, there's a black bear attacking a whole herd of javelina and killing you know, an adult-sized pig. That would be unbelievable video and unbelievable sight to just witness in person. That... I'd never even heard of something like that. Yeah, you know, the second part is the guy had a video camera. He was scouting for bears and getting ready for the fall bear hunt and was just watching the bear but never thought about videoing it. I'm like, dude, that would have been classic video right there if he could have if he could have got it captured. That might be one off because I don't think I've ever heard that story. Have you ever heard never. anything like that, Mike? Never, ever. That's incredible. What a amazing on the the mountain lion attacking is it going after pigs head on or is it traditionally going like it would a deer and and doing the spot and stalk as itself and coming from behind yeah it just did, did, did the spot and the stalk and then nailed the pig wow actually somebody had a had a video of that off of the trail camera here just recently i saw it was a nighttime video and you see the javelina coming down the trail towards the video camera and then you can see the lion's eyes in the background and next thing you know just a cloud of dust and a ball of javelina and lion all tangled up yep i saw that incredible you're exactly right i did see that about a month or two ago yeah pretty cool video <clears throat> to kind of touch back on when you're going after them and you're setting up for your glassing spot or whatnot what else are you looking for um if you can talk to talk a little bit about and we know they eat the cactus and you know you can look for the prickly pears and they're kind of looks like strings but can you talk about what you're looking for for their beds and what they're eating or yep. whether you whether you know that they're in the area well one of the places that i used to hunt with the kids is out as, as a kid was out in the flats 
And uh, you know, every January when we had winter rains, as soon as it would rain all night, the next day we would run up to the flats, and we could cut a set of javelina tracks and track them down. And it's kind of like they do in old Mexico hunting mule deer, right? Um, and I learned a lot. I mean, I learned a lot doing that. I mean, you, you'll see where pigs will line. I call it lining out, right? They go on a single file line. Mm-hmm. And when you cross their trail in the flats, you know, you'll see where they've been, you know, going down the same same path, right? You know, 10 pigs in a row and there's their tracks. What I learned out in the flats was when they line out like that, nine times out of 10, they're going to a bedding area. This has been my experience. When I see a herd of pigs lined out and they're moving, right? They're not feeding. They're moving. They are going to a bed. Interesting. And it's usually a main bed, right? And in, in the wintertime, they've got their main beds are kind of in warm places that are out of the wind. You know, most of our viewers may not know javelina don't have, hair, you know, fur like a deer or a, or a coyote. They've got coarse hair. And so they don't have a lot of insulation. So they don't like cold weather. Guys have seen them piled up in the piles. So in the wintertime, generally I, I see a lot of their beds on, on the upper parts of the ridges and the some, you know, cold air sinks, right? So I usually find them bedded in saddles or up on the side of the ridges out of that cold thermocline, you know, temperature on the bottoms. And it'll be, you know, where they can be in the sun and, you know, walk in and out of the sun and warm up. In the summertime, it's the opposite. They'll be down in the nice, cool, damp places trying to stay cool, and they'll do most of their feeding at night. Um, there's been many times, this last year in particular, we were glassing pigs, a beautiful morning, couldn't find a pig, couldn't find a pig, and at 10 a.m., all of a sudden, the pigs decide to wake up, and yep. they come walking out from under a mesquite tree, right? They didn't get up until 10 a.m. Wow. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of guys by then have given up and they're not glassing anymore. They're bored and they're moving on or they're doing something else. So, exactly. Um, you know, I, I follow the moon charts as well. I'm a believer in that. I, I, it doesn't dictate when I hunt, but it does dictate I make sure I'm glassing when, when the peak activity is going to be during the day. Matter of fact, last Thursday was the same example. The best moon time was 5.45 p.m. to 7 35 p.m. I think it was and my son and I were glassing we started glassing at 3 p.m. didn't see a deer until 5:30. 5:30, boom there's three bucks there's two does there's another buck they all started getting up and I think happily the same way so I I pay attention to the moon phases and the, and the hunting times and make sure that I'm glassing during those times yep there there's something to be said about that because I know a lot of guys that follow that, and it's exactly true. You know, they could sit there and not see a thing. They're like, there's nothing in this canyon. Then all of a sudden, within that 15, 20-minute window, all of a sudden, the whole hillside kind of comes alive. It is amazing. Right. For sure. <clears throat> you know, got a variety of food sources, right? They, You know, obviously, everybody's seen them root in prickly pear. They love they love century plants. They love lechugia, shindaggers, all those legumes. You get out in the rolling grasslands, they do a lot of rooting for tubers. Um, so it just depends on the area you're hunting. The vegetation that's available will dictate the food source, right? Exactly. And so, you know, if I'm new to an area, I, you know, I do a lot of glassing, but I also do a little bit of uh, footwork, right? And looking for sign, whether it's rooting, whether it's tracks. Um, and again, those main beds, you know, if you can watch your herd line out, watch where they go, they'll have three or four what I call main bedding areas, and those bedding areas have a lot of droppings around them, right? Mm-hmm. They, they get up out of their bed, they walk over 10 or 15 yards and do their business and go lay back down. And so those main beds will have quite a bit of javelina droppings around them. Yep, and that is an so, interesting uh, insight you just said there where not too many animals will go and have a toilet area as the pigs do. It's amazing how they can have their beds and they all get up and they have their same tree or area that they'll all go. And, and that just builds up year after year. It's truly fascinating when you see that. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, you know, once you get to learn a herd and you kind of know their main bedding areas and the areas that they like to feed in, then uh, those are the areas I focus on when I'm glassing. Absolutely. Um, it, it is interesting learning them over. None of us are biologists, like you said. We just, 
you learn from experience. You learn through trial and error. Uh, you, you look to see what they're eating. Uh, Mike has shown me they've eaten barrel cactus, and you can see that they've rooted up underneath that where you would think that they can't get to, but there's a lot of moisture in that. And when they tip that over, then it exposes the, the underside where the roots, uh, you know, were attached. And they can eat that whole inside of that barrel cactus. I'm sure you've seen that as well, correct? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they, they love prickly pear. You know, like mule deer, they love they love choya fruit, right? So if you're in an area that's got a lot of choya, you'll catch them in those areas eating the choya fruit, the little yellow fruits, right? Yep. When I get into the rolling grasslands, you know, you'll see them rooting out in the grasslands. They do. A, it seems like they do a lot more rooting out in those rolling grasslands than they, they necessarily do in other areas. And it could be just, you know, the soil is easier to root around. But there's tubers and stuff on the ground that they like to eat. Yep. They'll eat a lot of acorns, manzanese berries. Yep. Believe it or not, I've, I've witnessed them eating on a deer carcass. Really? Interesting. Yep. Huh. You would have never thought that. That's incredible. No, I mean, yeah, a lot of people do. don't think that the, the, the prey animals or the, the vegetarians ever eat meat, but we've seen videos of, you know, cow elk or uh, does, you know, with a squirrel in their mouth. Um, I've never witnessed it in person, but I've seen videos of it. And I guess, you know, they are an old, old, old relative of pigs. They're old world pigs. And, you know, somewhere along the line, they've, they've learned to get a little bit of protein from that i would imagine yeah we do a lot of gutless methods when we're hunting just you know lighten up the load when you're packing out yep and uh and we did that one time on a coos deer that was just way back up in this nasty cliffy rocky area and the next day we look up there and the whole herd was chowing down on on the, the rib cage and the spine and the gut pile that we left behind unbelievable <clears throat> that is crazy I never even thought about that. That is an incredible thing to witness, I'm sure, just to be able to see a herd doing that because we never think about Havelina being meat eaters like that. Yeah. Yeah, we were kind of, you know, kind of taken back on, wow, check that out, man. They're, they're tearing that thing up. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have a Havelina tag in your pocket when that happened? No, it was one of those, uh, you know, early fall junior hunts back when my kids were young and my nephew had, had shot a real nice little coos buck up there. And and at that time, I don't think they had the concurrent uh, Havelina hunts going on during the juniors hunts. That was, what, probably 15, 20 years ago. Yep, right. yep exactly. Uh, one of my last questions is you talked about the, the Havelina having like main bedding areas. What do you think your typical distance is between those three or four main bedding areas? For me, because I'm I'm usually hunting, you know, in the mountains. I think I think it's terrain driven. Um, it might be the next canyon over or two canyons over, right? Yep. They'll line out and, and jump a couple canyons, and they'll have a little place and they'll tuck in. In the flats, what I learned when I was hunting them in the flats is we would bump them out of one bed. They would line out, right? We'd follow the tracks, and they'd be in the single file line and. And they'd go a half mile or so, and then you start seeing an individual splitting off from the trail, and before long, they're all milling around based on the tracks, and then we would slow up going, okay, they're they're back to feeding. Yep. And, uh, you know, and then we would get into them and either get one or not and spook them, and they'd line out. And by the end of the day, we'd done a complete loop, gone all the way back to where we started from. So they definitely had a, a home territory that they like to run in, right? Yep. And so I, I use that as as a learning experience. And then when I got into the mountains and the more rugged terrain, when they when you bump them and they run around the corner, I tell people, man, do yourself a favor. You know, maybe you killed your javelina just now, but go around the corner and see where those pigs went. Go see if you can figure out where they went because they're going to line out and they're going to go to another bed. Exactly. And now you know where that other bed is. So. Next time you go hunting, if you don't find them in this canyon, well, hey, man, they ran over to this other canyon last time. There's got to be a bed over there. I'm going to go over there and look. Maybe they're over there today. That's great advice. And, uh, yeah. And so th that's that's really how you learn where their main beds are. And if you start from there, generally they're going to be in one of those main beds, especially if it's a cold morning. You know, they'll be in one of those main beds that they like to be in, and they'll get up and start feeding from there. Awesome. 
Rick, is there anything that we've uh, failed to ask that you would like to um, share with our listeners and any uh, parting words of wisdom on Havelina hunting or calling? No, I mean, enjoy. It's a blast. In all the years I've called, that one on video was the only Havelina that I truly believe was really wanting to bite me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, all the others usually run around your feet. You know, I've always told people Havelina don't charge you. I think that, you know, they're like quail, right? You get them, there, you bust them up, and they scatter, and they're just running different directions, and they can't see. And people think because they're running towards them, they're being charged. And I don't think that's the fact. I think it's just you happen to be the direction they're running. Right. But that, that one that one day that pig he definitely he definitely wanted to take a bite of me. And that's the first time in all my years I've ever had that happen. For everyone that wants to uh get one of your calls or to, to see those mm-hmm. videos that we've mentioned, how can they uh look you up on YouTube or where 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 can they order one of your calls from? So they can reach out and and uh, and contact me on social media on Facebook or Instagram. Um, or they can go on the PayPal and, you know, in order on PayPal, I am, uh, creating a new website just due to demand for folks to be able to find me. And, and, uh, and that'll be called calling Hopefully we'll have that up in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and there'll be an online store and there'll be some online videos, tutorials, going to cover how to, how to how to make the sounds that I make, how to change the reeds out of your call, um, a little bit on hunting javelina. There's a lot of information out there on the web, so I'm not going to get all that crazy on claiming to be the expert on finding javelina, but I'll provide a little bit of information on the website for folks to, to glean off of and, and uh, maybe find a little tidbit of information that works for them. Well, I think Mike and I have learned uh, quite a bit from you today, and I hope everyone else has learned a uh, little bit of where to look, what to look for, what signs to to observe, and if you get close to a herd or if you want a cold call, uh, there's no harm. I mean, some of the best lessons learned are the hardest, and if you if you spook them out and they blow out, then you learn you learned a little bit on what not to do, and there's no harm in in trying the call. Like you said, you've had plenty of success of them coming back even with uh with busting them or that you've sat there for a couple hours glassing didn't see anything um i know that happened to me one time and sitting there for a couple hours by myself on a solo hunt and got discouraged and uh didn't have anyone to be embarrassed on how i was calling in front of anybody so gave it a whirl and out of nowhere here they come charging up the hill so it it definitely works they definitely those calls definitely work um yeah Go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say, yeah. If you're if you're going to walk away, you got nothing to lose, right? You're already leaving. Yep. So you got absolutely nothing to lose by blowing on the call. Perfect. Um, as we always do, we end in prayer. And Mike, if you could close us out, please. All right, Lord God, we just uh, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this uh, blessing to live in the United States and specifically here in Arizona, Lord. We just ask that you would uh, bless all those that venture out to Havelina hunt, Lord. We just ask that you would keep them safe, Lord, and help them build friendships, Lord, and allow, and let them know that, Lord, when they're Havelina hunting, that it's a fellowship, it's a friendship, and it's a relaxed hunt to just enjoy your incredible creation, Lord, and with these amazing calls, Lord, we just ask that uh, our, these listeners, Lord, they would be blessed to uh, call on some javelina as you so created them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <laughs>